Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Tzvi Hirschfeld on the holidays Shminyat Seret and Simchat Torah. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. And now, here is Rabbi Tzvi Hirschfeld. My name is Tzvi Hirschfeld, and I'm a longtime faculty member of Pardes Institute, and it's my privilege to discuss with you today the topic of Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day of Sukkot, or the eighth day following seven days of Sukkot, because it probably is a separate holiday unto itself. And uh, it's also combined, as you know, with Simchat Torah. It's, in fact, uh, one of the interesting uh, aspects of Shmini Atzeret uh, and Simchat Torah uh, is the origin of uh, these days, or day, if you're in the land of Israel. So uh, let's begin by looking at the, uh, the verses together uh, that describe this holiday, uh, and what's, what's there and what's not there, I guess, is what we should begin talking about. So the verses in Vayikra chapter 23 say the following, the Dever Hashem Moshele Mor, the Barrel Bnei Israel. Right? In other words, God says to Moshe, say to the people on the 15th day of the seventh month, that's the month of Tishrei, there'll be a feast of booths. We're going to have the, the holiday of Sukkot, and it's going to be seven days. And the Torah goes on to tell us the first day will be a sacred occasion, it'll be what we call a Yom Tov, where we are prohibited in labor. Uh, and then seven days you shall bring special offerings, korbanot. And then it says to us, on the eighth day, there shall be another Yom Tov, a sacred occasion, uh, and you again will not do work. So day one is a festival day without doing labor, and day eight is a festival day without doing labor. Uh, the interesting question is the seven days versus the eight days. Now, after concluding this section, uh, the verses go on in verse 39 to say the following. It says, Mark on the 15th day of the seventh month when you gathered in the yield of your land. Then you have a festival. It's almost a repetition, telling us again that Sukkot is this festival of booths, but it's also a festival of gathering in your harvest. It's a festival celebrating uh, the yield, the bounty that the land has given you, and that's seven days. And again, a day of rest in the first day and a complete rest in the eighth day. And then it goes on to tell us that on the first day, you shall bring uh, the, the, the fruit of the Hadar tree, the branches of palm trees, uh, leafy trees, and so on. And this is the mitzvah, the dalad minim of the four species, uh, where we take a Hadar, we take a Lulav, we take Hadas and Arava, uh, and we hold them together. And it goes on to tell us that, that we do that on the first day. Then there's this festival for seven days. And the seven-day festival in verse 42, we're told we have to live in booths. So you have the mitzvah of Lulav and Etrog on day one. We have the mitzvah of living in a sukkah, of living in a booth uh, for all seven days. And yet what's interesting is it never tells us going back to the eighth day. In other words, the mitzvot of the festival of Sukkot, 
whether it's the lulav and etrog, which is on day one, or as the rabbis extended it to all seven days, or the requirement of living in a booth in a sukkah for seven days, day eight does not have either of those mitzvot. There's no lulav and there's no sukkah. And yet it is described as day eight. So Shmini Atzeret, this festival of the eighth, uh, is a strange one to figure out and define, because on the one hand, it is the eighth day. It's usually the culmination of Sukkot. But at the same time, it doesn't have any of the features of the Sukkot festival. And the Torah never really explains to us what this day eight is about. Is it a conclusion of Sukkot? Is it its own separate piece? And of course, the rabbis in the Talmud discussed the various ways that Shmini Atzeret is both attached and different. Uh, the, most fa- the most famous example, of course, is unlike all the other, uh, which we find out in the about the sacrifices of Sukkot, that unlike the other days of Sukkot where you bring larger numbers of parim, of bulls, on Shmini Atzeret you bring only one. So whereas on Sukkot you begin this countdown starting with uh, 13, I believe, uh, for the seven days, Shmini Atzeret sort of stands alone. It's not part of that count of the Korbanot. Now, to make things a little more complicated when thinking about Shmini Atzeret, is that uh, in Israel, because it's only one day, Shmini Atzeret has been sort of swallowed up by this other holiday called Simchat Torah. Now, in the diaspora, it's more clear, because since you have a two-day Chag on the end, you have one day for Shemini Atzeret, and this, the day nine is Simchat Torah. Whereas here in Israel, uh, they have been combined, and poor Shemini Atzeret has uh, almost disappeared in the festival of Simchat Torah. Now, what is the festival of Simchat Torah? So Simchat Torah has its own interesting history, in that uh, Simchat Torah, uh, the custom uh, of the Babylonian Jewish community was to finish reading the entire Torah every year. The land of Israel, they used to finish once every three years. And in the Jewish communities of Babylonia, they developed a custom not only to finish the Torah once a year, but to finish the Torah on Shemini Atzeret. The Shemini Atzeret, although some communities actually finished at Rosh Hashanah time, which was interesting, uh, it might make even more logical sense, Shemini Atzeret became the time of year where you would finish the Torah reading uh, of the the Chumash, and then you would have this joyous festive occasion where you would dance around with the Torahs and you would do these hakafot. That just like on Sukkot, you walk around uh, the bima holding your lulav and etrog uh, each of the days called, uh, you know, Hoshanot. In Hoshana Rabbah, you'd actually walk around seven times. On Shmini, on Simchat Torah, you would walk around with the Torah. Take all the Torahs out of the Ark and you dance and be very joyful. And that's where the idea of Simchat Torah, the joy of Torah, came from. Because the Babylonian Jewish community's custom of finishing the cycle of Torah reading and rejoicing in the Torah on Simchat Torah. But then it sort of created this very interesting question that uh, Shmini Atzeret, which the Torah does not attribute any specific mitzvah or custom, uh, but the only thing that stands out for Shemini Atzeret is the prayer for rain. Uh, we begin to formally ask for rain. We say, Mashiv Geshem, 
on Shemini Atzeret. We also have a special prayer, a special piyut, a liturgical prayer that got added uh, in a, uh, a prayer for rain. And suddenly Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah got connected to each other. And of course the question is, is this connection accidental? Meaning that the Jews of Babylonia had this two-day festival of Shemini Atzeret that had no unique feature, no sukkah, no lulav, uh, no matzah, nothing special, and therefore Simchat Torah sort of became the, the dominating feature? Or could we argue there's in fact some kind of internal connection uh, between Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah, this festival of literally taking joy in the Torah. Uh, so I want to begin by exploring a little bit our first source here uh, from the Midrash, a fascinating Midrash about the origins or perhaps the nature of Shemini Atzer. So we're on source two from the Yalkut Shimoni. It says as follows. Rabbi Alexandri said, the Chag of Shemini Atzer, the festival of Shemini Atzer, may be understood the following analogy. A king whose son was busy taking care of all the guests for the seven days of feasting. After the seven days were done, the king said to his son, I know that the past seven days you've been busy taking care of all the guests. Now I would like you and I to enjoy some one day rejoicing alone together. I will not make it burdensome for you. Take one chicken, a kilo of meat, etc. This is analogous to the seven days of Sukkot, where Jewish people were occupied with the sacrifices offered on behalf of the other nations. This is built on a famous idea that Midrash is going to mention here as well, that the 70 cows that were offered on Sukkot are actually representative of the 70 nations. As Rabbi Pinchas said, all 70 of the bulls the Jewish people offered during Sukkot are on behalf of the 70 nations so they do not destroy the world. What is the reason? They answer my love with accusation, but I am all prayer. We rely on prayers. The implication of this Midrash this Midrash occurs in other places as well, is that we offer these 70 bulls on behalf of the nations to sort of appease them before God so that they will not act out in terrible ways and the other nations rely on their power. We rely on prayer, and although we offer them friendship, they don't like us very much. But in spite of that, in spite of the fact that they don't like us very much, uh, we still pray on their behalf. Uh, and uh, we could go into this further about Sukkot sort of representing We'll talk a little bit about the universalistic elements that are present here, but that Sukkot sort of represents this uh, uh, a, a, a festival that's also in some way related to seeing us as representatives of all the nations of the world. Uh, and what's interesting here is that in that case, Shemini Atzeret uh, is this invitation from God that after the 70 days are, sorry, the 70 uh, offerings have been offered, over those seven days on behalf of all the nations, now God turns to us as if to say, okay, you've now done your job vis-a-vis -vis all the other nations of the world. Take one day and let it just be about you and me. Once the seven days are back on the Midrash have ended, God says to Israel, now you and I shall rejoice together, and I shall not impose too much upon you, just one bull and one ram. The idea, right, that unlike Sukkot, where there's many, many sacrifices, Shemini Atzeret is just one bull and one ram, and this is God saying, this is just our private party between me and 
the Jewish people. That's what Shemini Atzeret is. It represents this culmination of Sukkot, where Sukkot is also about the nations of the world and offers the Jewish people private, intimate connection with God. The Midrash continues. Once the Jewish people heard this, they began praising the Holy One, blessed be He, and said, This is the day Hashem has made. Let us rejoice and be happy in it. Right? The famous quote from the Pasuk, Zehayom Asa Hashem Nagila It's about rejoicing. God made this day that we should rejoice. Rabbi Avin said, We did not know whether we should rejoice in the day or in the Holy One, blessed be He. Now, this is a very interesting question. The Midrash has Rabbi Avin asking, about the nature of the joy of Shemini Yatzeret. What's the nature of the joy? Is the nature of the joy about the day, or is the nature of the joy about rejoicing in God? It's not clear what that difference is. We're going to explore it together. The Midrash continues, Shlomo came and explained, let us rejoice to be happy in you. He read it as not Bo, but Becha, in you and your salvation. Okay? Becha, he says, uh, Shlomo explained that I'm sorry, as Nismacha Bach to rejoice in you, in you and your Torah, in you and your salvation. So, meaning Shlomo said that the, 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 the quoting Shlomo is saying that the verse of rejoicing in God means to rejoice in you, the salvation in Torah. Rabbi Yitzchak said, in you, he used the term Becha, and he did a gematria. Becha is 22. Bet is 2, Chaf is 20. With the 22 letters with which you wrote your Torah, Bet is 2, and Chaf is 20. So the Midrash asks a very interesting question and gives a very unclear answer. Rabbi Avin asks about the nature of the joy of the day. Is the joy about the day, or is the joy about God? Not clear what the difference would be. And then it comes along and says, Shlomo came and explained that the rejoicing of the day, is, uh, at least of the pasuk, the rejoicing of it means the rejoicing of the Torah. We rejoice in God through the Torah. Now, of course, the question is, what does it mean that we rejoice in God through the Torah? And how does this answer the question about the nature of the joy of the day? Is it about the day, or is it about the Torah? So Rabbi Yonah, in his commentary on Brachot, 13th century uh, Spanish commentator on Brachot, references this Midrash and makes things a little clearer. He says as follows, This is the day Hashem has made. Let us rejoice and be happy in it. Again, according to the Pasuk. This means to say, he says, to rejoice in Hashem. That is to say, even though it is a holy day and Hashem made miracles and wonders for us, and we are happy about them, the primary focus of our joy is not the holiday, but rather because of Hashem. That is to say, to publicize His greatness and awesomeness that He does for us. So here Rabbi Yonah offered us a little step towards understanding what is the difference between rejoicing in the day and rejoicing in God. And what he says there is that to rejoice in the day means to rejoice in the miracles and wonders that God did for us. Or when we celebrate a holiday like Pesach, our happiness is we're now free. God made miracles for us and made us free. When we rejoice in Sukkot, 
God took care of us in the desert. He did these miracles for us, and our joy and our gratitude comes from all the tangible things that God has done for us. And Rabbeinu Yonah is suggesting here that there's a different aspect of joy, and that is the joy in God himself. We are rejoicing not because of what God has done for us, but we are quite literally rejoicing in our relationship and closeness to God. And now this reflects back to Shemini Atzeret. Shemini Atzeret then, according to this argument, that the special joy of the day is different in that the day is not commemorating miracles that God did for us or great things that we received in our past, or even a great harvest for which we could be grateful and joyous. Shemini Atzeret was designed to be a day where we are happy and rejoicing simply over our relationship with God and our closeness to God. Not connected to anything God did for us, not connected to historical events, not connected to agricultural cycle, just our relationship with God. Midrash is saying God is inviting the Jewish people, let's just have a day that's just about you and me and the relationship between us. Now, the Midrash then goes on to say that that's expressed through Torah. Now, what does that mean, that's expressed through Torah? So I think what the Midrash is pointing at, which then connects us to Simchat Torah as being connected to Shemini Atzeret, is that Simchat Torah is actually a celebration of a particular result of our relationship to God through Torah. What I mean to say is, that there are lots of really good reasons to study Torah. At Pardes, we are really with a very pro-Torah platform at the Pardes Institute. There are a lot of good reasons to study Torah. Uh, one reason is it's very practical. By studying Torah, you learn how to do the mitzvot, right? Torah study is our entranceway into Jewish practice. If you want to know how Jews behave, you have to study Torah. Another thing people point to is wisdom. The Torah is filled with wisdom. Of all the big questions that we ask, what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a member of a people, of a family? Uh, what does it mean to uh, be a son, a daughter, a child, a parent? Right? Torah gives us wisdom. It gives us ethics. It gives us insight. The Torah teaches us to ask good questions and to look for complex answers. The Torah teaches us how to learn from the world around us, from human experience, from the experience of the Jewish people, from our history. The Torah is filled with knowledge. And the Torah also, in the way that we study Torah, teaches us how to think and, and, and develop our own wisdom and discover wisdom from within. Another great reason to learn Torah. A third reason for Torah could be it connects us to the, our community, to the Jewish people. The Torah, particularly the oral law, is unique to the Jewish people. When I study Torah, I am connecting to the Jewish people, past and present. I am engaged in a conversation with the people, the Jewish people of the past and the Jewish people of the present, and perhaps even the Jewish people of the future. Studying Torah is one of the ways I cement my connection to my fellow Jews, past and present. And finally, Torah study can also be a critical way of service to God, by giving my time and my mental energy to the study of Torah, I'm serving God. I'm, I'm performing a mitzvah. I'm choosing to use my time, my energy, and my effort 
directed in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the service of Hashem, the service of God. These are all wonderful and important reasons to learn Torah. But there's another reason that's being pointed to here that Shlomo in the Midrash is pointing to. When I study Torah, I see myself in relationship with God. Torah is one of the things that brings me into relationship with God, and I experience godliness. You know, uh, according to Kabbalistic ideas, the Torah itself is godliness. It is God. So when I study Torah, I become connected to God. So independent of all those good reasons, whether they're ethical or intellectual or communal or even mitzvah and halacha related, there's an element of Torah study that's about experiencing godliness and feeling my relationship with God. And Simchat Torah, I think, is meant to cultivate that experience. That is the link the Midrash is making. It is a day devoted to intimacy with God. And the way I experience that intimacy and closeness and joy of my relationship with God is through the Torah. I dance with the Torah because the Torah is my vehicle or my modality of experiencing my relationship with God. It is a day, a day of intimacy and closeness with God, independent of my history, independent of halacha, independent of everything. I rejoice over my relationship with God. It is a relationship with God that is made real and tangible through the Torah. And that is the link, I think, that Midrash is making between Simchat Torah and my relationship with God. That unlike all the other holidays, which celebrate something God has done for the Jewish people or has given to the Jewish people or has offered the Jewish people or the agricultural gifts that God has given us, Shmini Atzeret is about the relationship itself. It is just about being present with God and our rejoicing in the Torah is our vehicle for our rejoicing over our relationship with God. And that is the link, I think, that tradition has made between Shmini Atzeret as this day apart, if you will, a day where God invites us for intimacy and closeness just with him and the, and the celebration of Torah that is Simchat Torah. I want to add one more reference to the meaning of Simchat Torah, which itself is very interesting. You know, commentators have noticed that on Simchat Torah, we, we, we break some of the rules, right? Uh, for example, we read Torah at night. We read Torah, the Torah portion over and over again so everybody can have an aliyah. Uh, children are called up to the Torah uh, and stand under the talit. Uh, in this custom of kol hanarim. Uh, synagogue, there's a lot of clapping and dancing, which is not terribly common. In fact, some find a halachic problem of dancing or clamping on Shabbat. So what's going on here? So I saw this interesting connection that Simchat Torah is an, is an echo of messianic days, of a perfected world, where according to some opinions, in the perfected world, halacha is going to change. It's not going to be exactly the same. Uh, and here I'll just quote to you from the Vilna Gon's commentary on Mishlei. 
On the pasuk, Oz lahadar levushav at hischak liyom acharon, she is clothed in strength and glory, and laughs over the final day. It's very famous. We sing it in Eshet Chayil, right? Uh, Woman of Valor that we sing on Friday night. He says as follows: Strength. Going back to the verse, this refers to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Glory or beauty. This refers to Sukkot because of the fruit of the beautiful tree, the etrog. Laughs over the final day. This refers to Shmini Atzeret, about which it is said, you shall indeed be joyous. Vilna Gon says the laughter of the final day, of the day of redemption, of the Messianic time, that is the joy of Shmini Atzeret. Because Shmini Atzeret is a joy that is about our relationship with God outside of history, and to some extent even outside the normal framework of halakha. We enter into this other space where some rules are broken, we do things differently, we express ourselves with emotion and power that we don't normally do because it is a day that sort of exists outside of any framework because it is a day that exists solely in our spiritual uh, joy. Uh, in our relationship with God. So I want to leave you with one more thought about Shmini Atzeret, or Simchat Torah. And that is, it's, it's, it's very interesting how the Torah begins and how the Torah ends. The Torah, of course, ends with the death of Moshe. Uh, it talks about how, uh, and it recounts all the amazing things that God has done for the Jewish people, and it finishes with Le'enei Kol Yisrael, in the eyes of the Jewish people. And then immediately on Simchat Torah, we, we, we roll the Torah back to the very beginning, and we read, Fascinating, right? The Torah ends on this very particularist note of the Jewish people about to transition from the desert into the land of Israel. It is the culmination of this very particular Jewish story. Yet when we begin the Torah again, we go back to the creation of the world, the creation of all life, the creation of humanity, and we're back to this very universalistic story again. And there's something about that cycle that's very, very powerful. That Simchat Torah embraces both the particular story of the Jewish people along with seeing the Jewish people as ultimately belonging to humanity and the creation of the world in a wider, bigger, broader story. Which again is also conveyed in Rosh Hashanah as the time when all the nations, all the peoples of the world are judged by God, not just the Jewish people, and Sukkot, where we reflected earlier on the 70 sacrifices offered on behalf of all the nations of the world, that the, this, the Tishrei holiday experience culminates uh, in this dual message of one that is deeply particular and one that is broadly human in the creation of the world. And in many ways, this brings us to this idea that this intimacy that we experience with God on Shemini Atzeret, uh, it doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end with just our own little unique moment with God where God invites us for a private moment with the Jewish people, but that's actually the beginning of getting us back into the story of being part of humanity and embracing our universalistic identity all at the same time. So all of these sort of come together in a very beautiful way. Uh, and so Shemini Atzeret, is a holiday of intimacy and closeness with God outside of history, outside of ritual, uh, brought to us through Torah, and we celebrate with the Torah, and we celebrate our relationship with God, both as Jews and ultimately, I think, also as human beings as well. 
So I'd like to wish all of you an exciting and meaningful and joyous Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. Thank you for listening. Thanks again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem or by visiting elmod.pardes.org. Be sure to tune in next week as Rabbanit Nachama Goldman Beresh discusses Parashat Bereshit. Thanks for listening.